We'll read again that eighth verse of the first chapter of the Revelation. Revelation 1.8, pardon me, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And John the Revelator chose to use that as an illustration that the Lord is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the one who was and who is and who is to come. That's to say that he has no beginning. He has always been and always will be. There's quite a a difference between the beginning and the ending. We read, of course, in uh, the opening of the Bible that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Well, we read in the ending, in the Revelation, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, we see that God called the night, or rather God called the darkness night, but in the Revelation, there is no more darkness, there's no more night. In the beginning, the Lord gathered the waters together and called them the seas, but in the ending, there are no more seas. And that would have been uh, good news to those of the apostles' time because in that time the seas were viewed due to the fishing industry, if you will, and the boats that weren't built like they are today, uh, a place of terror and a place of fright. But uh, no more seas, no more loss of life in the seas. We see in the beginning... Uh, The human race was in the garden, at least Adam and Eve were. Uh, But in the end, uh, the human race, those that are saved, are in a city. Now, you might prefer a garden to a city. Um, I grew up in Garden Valley and now live in a city. Uh, But uh, this is different. Uh, The the Garden of Eden was without sin in the beginning. And uh, that's how things will end when John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven. So that's a place that I'm I'm certain that that cannot be improved upon. And we see uh, in the beginning that the first home, the cradle of civilization, if you will, was where rivers began. And at the end, our eternal home is by a pure river of life, clear as crystal. And it appears to be coming out of the, the tree of life or on either shore is all manner of fruit, but that, that's the tree of life. We, uh, we can anticipate that in the ending time. Well, in the, in the beginning, near the beginning came the fall, and with the fall came the curse, and with the curse came pain and multiplied sorrow and death. But in the end, we have the promise of Revelation 21.4, Uh, which says in part, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more uh, death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Well, John knew the beginning 
from uh, the Lord, he said, and wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning uh, with God. And he goes on to say, Without him was not anything made that was made. So John uh, understood what things were like in the beginning, creation. But now he's banished in his uh, senior years, if you will, uh, perhaps 90 years old, to the Isle of Patmos. And uh, we see that uh, God spoke to him and told him that he, he must show him the things which would shortly come to pass. Well, we're living in those times that John the Revelator spoke of. And you might, you might wonder why the Lord would say to him at that time the things that would shortly come to pass. But if you uh, take out a section of 7,000 years where we have what is called time in, in light of eternity, it's not very long. And the things that will come to pass are things that he could see w- would shortly come to pass. The beginning took place roughly 6,000 years ago. And the next 1,000 years constitute the ending. So uh, this morning I'm not so much concerned with the beginning or with the ending. What our concern is, is is where are we? Well, we know a couple of things. Uh, We know we are somewhere in between the beginning and the ending. No one would dispute that. And... We could hardly uh, dispute uh, the fact that we are much closer to the ending than we are to the beginning. The human race has been in existence and uh, for approximately 6,000 years, uh, creation being about 6,000 years ago, notwithstanding what is taught in, in society. Uh, it takes more faith to believe those teachings than it does to believe the Word of God. But well, we do believe the Word of God. So we're, uh, we're not far, and in fact, the next thousand years do constitute the events of the ending, and the next uh, uh, great event being the rapture of the church. God created the earth, uh, the heavens and the earth and the human race in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Well, we've gone 6,000 years, six millennium, and the seventh millennium will be a millennium of rest when the curse is lifted. That will take place after the rapture of the church when the saints of God, remember this is part of the ending, are raptured out of this old world and participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb in the azure above while a time of trouble such as never been will be unleashed upon this planet that a secularist would like to save, but it cannot be saved. It's reserved for fire. Uh, we need to be more concerned about our living soul uh, than the temporal things all around us. So that, that's, uh, that's going to take place. And then 1,000 years of peace and tranquility on earth. When the, John the Revelator uh, spoke, uh, he said, Behold, he cometh in the clouds. That's when the armies of the earth are gathered at the end of the Great Tribulation at Armageddon uh, to destroy once and for all the the state of Israel and the people of Israel and the Jewish race, well, then the Lord uh, shall uh, come from heaven and the armies of God, including the raptured saints, shall uh, join 
following with him on white horses, and he will destroy uh, the uh, enemy, Satan, with the brightness uh, of his coming. And the Jewish race will wail because they will finally uh, recognize him as their Messiah. And that uh, will be the beginning of the last uh, 1,000 years, a time of peace here until the enemy is unleashed for a season to give opportunity for those who have been born during the Great Tribulation to choose uh, on their own whether they're going to serve God or follow Satan. And then there will be a great white throne judgment and then some of the events that uh, John speaks of in the last uh, two chapters of the book of the Revelation where we see the new heaven and the new earth. Well, today we're, we're somewhere between the beginning and the end and we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. So the question becomes, what will we do with what we know? Well, it's not like we have a thousand years. I mean, we do well. Mom lived to be 90. Dad, 92. God called both of them home the same year, this year. Well, what are the odds? Uh, Well, we don't believe in odds, but... uh, What's the likelihood? I'm not sure we believe in likelihood either, but <laughs> how long do you think you're going to live? Eventually your summons will come. You, you want to be a participant in the good things of the ending rather than the bad things of the ending. And it's our choice. When Jesus, uh, we, we read there's a lot of gospel in these few uh, verses how uh, that uh, the Lord loved us. He loves you. He loved me. He called us when we didn't know he existed. And he helped us to pray. He loved us and washed us from our sins Amen. in his own blood. Amen. There's nothing we could have done to atone for our own sins. There's nothing uh, we could have uh, mustered up of our own prayer. It was only the mercy of God that first drew us and then that forgave us when we Asked him for forgiveness of our sins. And something happened. The power of heaven went through our being, or perhaps just with some, a, a settled peace of assurance that our sins were forgiven. The Lord heard our prayer. And the Bible characterizes it this way He washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Well, John answered the call. John, uh, the revelator, in his younger years, there he was following John the Baptist, a disciple of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist saw Jesus walking, coming. And there they were near the shores uh, of the Jordan River. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And John had taught that there cometh one after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unleash or unloose, rather. And now he points uh, to them. And there was with John uh, the beloved uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And they left following John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. That, that was the initial response where John answered God's call. And he uh, documented some of the impact that he saw Jesus have on individual lives. He later said that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written if everything was written. But he gave us a sampling of what uh, the Lord did in those days, and the Lord does it in these days. 
In the second chapter of the Gospel of St. John, we see the first miracle. And then in the third chapter, we see where Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Uh, He spoke of regeneration, a new life. And then in the fourth chapter of John, we see him uh, encountering the woman at the well. And she had a history that was not becoming. But she was the one that went into the city and told them, come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. Is not this the Messiah? He was the Messiah. They went out. They saw for themselves and told her and him, now we believe not because of what you've told us, but because we've seen him and heard him for ourselves. In the fifth chapter, this man at the pool of Bethesda, why the Lord healed him. 38 years he had been in that condition, powerless to help himself. That's what sin does to us. With him it was a physical need as well as a spiritual need. But uh, some of us have, most of us have not experienced that physical uh, dilemma, but we have all encountered the, the spiritual aspect where we need to be liberated. Well, the Lord gave him power to walk and to leap and to jump and to run. Well, we may not be able to leap and jump and run. Some of us like we used to, and some of us couldn't do real good anyway. But uh, we can be given power to go and live a life without sinning anymore. Never again. Of course we wouldn't sin. Because if we recognize the the extent of our depraved condition and had uh, enough remorse over the things that we had done that displeased God, uh, once we come to God and ask His forgiveness and ask Him for power to never do that again, we would never put ourselves in a position where we would even be tempted to do those things again. There's power in the blood. We can't do it in our own strength. But if we mean it, the power of God moves through our being and and He gives us power to go and live a life that is pleasing to Him. Well, then the sixth chapter of John, there's the lad with the lunch. And above 5,000 men plus the women and children experience for themselves what the Lord could do. Well, the Lord still works today. He still impacts lives today. He's impacted your life, my life. It's what's brought us together from different backgrounds. We would not have known each other, most of us. Well, family. Of course, you can't choose your relatives, I've heard. You can choose your church. Uh, and we thank God that he called us to worship him uh, under the sound of the old-time religion. I've never looked for another way. This is where I was invited that March day, 1974. And I, and I sat halfway back. Martin Gerard was the pastor. He, was, he, he seemed to be just a common man. I, that appealed to me because I viewed us as common people. It was not what I expected. I didn't, I, we weren't church people. Well, my sister was, but, and my mother was to some degree. She tried, but the rest of us, my dad, no way. There was no interest whatsoever. Um, God has a way of changing things. Anyway, I, I didn't know about how things operated, and I really did. I expected 
a guy with a big tall hat and a long flowing robe, and he would come up and pronounce certain things, and I don't know what I expected, but here comes the Brother Marty in a business suit and presented the gospel in a simple manner. Why, well, that was certainly to be admired and appreciated. And before that very day was over, I had prayed and God saved my soul. Never looked anywhere else. I liked what I heard then, and I've liked being with God's people ever since. Well, you're ready for the ending. Not of the sermon, but even though I'm almost there, I really am there. <laughs> might be past ready for that, but are you ready for the ending of time? Are you saved? Have you given your heart to God? Well, if you haven't, it's so simple. I testify all over the world, actually, about my children getting saved, and I won't do it today because they're, I don't want them to be really awkward, but uh, they got saved a short time after I got saved, really. I got saved in 1974, married in 76. Lisa was born uh, a little over a year later after we were married, Randy two years after that. And so they got saved at ages four and uh, and five or six, five. I, I have the year written down, but anyway, young So that was, uh, like, say, 1981, I think. 82 or 83. Early 80s. That was only a short time. Uh, I was saved in 1974. So I, I say I've been saved so many years. You don't get extra credit, by the way. There's not tenure in this thing. You've you got to keep the victory. Amen. But the point being, a child can be saved and keep it. A 21-year-old can be saved and keep it. And my dad was 48, and the mom, two years younger, so in their 40s. You know that a few people get saved after their teenager, teenage years, very few. The most common age for in America, at least last time I looked, for one to be saved is age 11. And if you don't get saved by the time you leave your teens, most people don't get saved. But there are exceptions, and, and our family is witness of that. Some of my siblings as well. So God calls in these last days. He wants people to be ready for the ending. So if you're not saved today, I can't think of a better day to get saved. And I can't think of a better place. We're going to have a a time of prayer around these altars or in the pews where you're seated. Just utter that simple prayer. Ask the Lord to forgive your sins and to come in your heart. The Lord will hear from heaven. He'll answer. He'll save your soul. And this will be a landmark day for you. God bless you.